Thank you for joining LTC Mac Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. I'm here today with Denise Winsler, a Curriculum Development Specialist with APACN. Denise joins us today to discuss some of the basics of trauma-informed care, what should be in place in skilled nursing facilities, and how to create a trauma-informed care plan. Welcome, Denise. Amy, thanks so much for asking me to be on this podcast. I'm really excited to discuss what we're going to be discussing today. Excellent. Let's dive right in, Denise. Who should be screened and assessed for trauma? Sure, that's really a great question. And I think First, let's divide that into two parts because screening and assessment are really two different things. So let's take screening first. Screening should be completed for every resident and screenings really don't delve into details. What they are is it's a process that uses a preliminary set of questions to quickly determine if the resident has had trauma in the past and is really at risk for any re-traumatization. And screenings should really be done prior to admission. Now, this can either be done with the PASSAR screen that we all know, but it's also a good idea that a facility have a specific screening tool as well to either use prior to admission or at the very latest when the resident is admitted because the PASSAR doesn't specifically screen for trauma, but the presence of the conditions that it screens for can really serve as an indicator that trauma may also be present, especially with a mental health diagnosis. And screenings also help to make sure that before accepting a resident, the facility can meet his or her needs, especially for the mental health and wellness needs of that resident, including reducing the risk of re-traumatization or coping with the current trauma. Now, once the screening is completed and it identifies that a trauma has occurred, then an in-depth assessment should be completed on the resident. That's an excellent overview of the difference between the screening and the assessment, so thank you. How should residents be assessed once trauma has been identified? Right, so assessment is not a one-time thing and should be done upon admission, on an ongoing basis, such as with a quarterly MDS or if a re-traumatization has occurred. And it's important to complete one prior to discharge because when a resident is returning to the community, usually their overall health and wellness has improved. And this improvement could influence the risk of re-traumatization and the way that they're going to be able to cope with trauma and the resources that are available to do so once they are out in the community. Now, these assessments can be done through the MDS and cause or a trauma-specific tool. And remember, that neither the MDS nor the CAUSE are designed to specifically assess for trauma. However, a lot of information comes from the MDS and the CAUSE to better understand the resident holistically and the potential risks for re-traumatization. As a matter of fact, you know, out of the 20 CAUSE, there are about eight that are specifically related to trauma. 
Now, when you are assessing a resident for trauma, we want to make sure that we provide a safe environment, a private environment. Make sure to use the preferred language that the resident uses, especially if it's not English. Explain the purpose of what you're doing. Remain calm and focused. And ensure that the resident can hear and see you and has access to a preferred method of communication. And last but not least, listen and remain non-judgmental. That's excellent information. Thank you. What should facilities consider when developing a screening or assessment protocol? Amy, there are several different things that facility leadership need to look at or review when they are trying to put together a screening or an assessment protocol. And I really want to emphasize here that they need to make sure they're using one that is appropriate for the population that they serve, and they can really refer back to their facility assessment. Also, who will be completing the screening or assessment? And what competencies do staff members need to be able to complete those screenings or assessments appropriately? And when will the assessment and the screen be completed? What's the process for sharing the results of the screening and triggering an assessment if it's warranted? The other thing for the screening or assessment tools is that you want to make sure that it is evidence-based and clinically appropriate. And remember, this is an ongoing process, so there's going to be additional questions that may arise as your team designs the screening or assessment process. But overall, remember to keep it simple, straightforward, and relatively quick. Thank you for that information. Let's talk about the care plan. What should be included in a trauma-informed care plan for a resident? Sure. So the whole goal of the care plan is to resist re-traumatization of the resident. And although there is no regulation that requires a facility to use a specific template or format for care planning, there's really three areas that should be included. And the first area is what effect does the trauma have on the resident? So what is the problem? The second area is what is an achievable goal, which is important to the resident that will help resist re-traumatization. And third, what interventions can be implemented to reduce the risk of the residents being traumatized? Now, once the care plan addressing the trauma has been developed, staff are going to need to be able to access that information that's on the care plan that's pertinent to their role. Excellent. Do you have any other advice for our listeners centered around trauma-informed care? I have a lot of advice, but I will limit it to three today. So the first one is really remember you need to take the holistic approach and include the resident, any direct caregivers, and if the resident gives permission, friends and family, because they see the resident differently and really can have a lot of information and some that, you know, maybe family members or the resident doesn't even see. The second is communication. Communication is key and communication of interventions to prevent re-traumatization. Again, key to make sure that all involved know the information that's pertinent to their role. And the last one is 
I really feel that a step in the care planning process that's often overlooked is evaluating the plan's effectiveness. So in regards to trauma, we want to evaluate if the care plan has prevented re-traumatization and help the resident to cope in as healthy a way as they're able. And if there's a change or if they've had a re-traumatization or has the care plan not been effective and there needs to be an additional assessment or additional interventions is warranted. That's a lot of great information for our listeners. Thank you, Denise. Thanks for having me today, Amy. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse assessment coordinators, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NACCHAT podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare, allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at AbilityNetwork.com slash a pack-in.